being involved in speaking and preaching at a church weekend. Uh, both of them have gone just as we've arrived back. So we've arrived from Romania and found that we probably needed to lead most of the stuff this morning. So sorry it's been a little bit of the Terry and Helen show. We are back from Romania uh, and the Romanian feedback is largely centred around my finger. Um, some of you will have heard that I'd managed to dislocate my finger whilst I was in Romania playing volleyball. Um, and uh, that was um, exciting. And visiting the A&E department of the Romanian hospital was also exciting. Um, but they did a fine job and probably did it just as quick as they would have done it in the UK. I must confess that uh, I was very impressed uh, um, and glad that I still have my little finger intact. Um, aside from that, the other Romanian feedback might be that we uh, spent a week or so running a youth camp, uh, which was fantastic. We saw some teenagers saved uh, during that week. We saw them come to Christ, which is a fantastic thing. From completely secular backgrounds, they came and they found God, which was fantastic. Um, we, um, Helen and I were able to spend three days doing some mentoring with uh, the young couples in the church uh, in order to sort of run through some of the marriage course materials that we, we have. And I was able to preach in the church three Sundays in a row, which must have been absolutely fantastic for them, um, as you can imagine. Um, so, uh, and then we did have some holiday time as well. So uh, lots and lots of positive things. Thank you so much for those who've been praying for us while we've been away. Um, some people in this room may remember an event called The Gap, which was an event which we used to run an outreach for teenagers in Minsterley, uh, which um, Helen's hero, Val, and her husband, James, were involved in alongside us and various other people in the church. Um, sorry, Val, you're really getting it today. Um, but uh, the, during that outreach into Minsterley, where we were sort of... Uh, going and preaching the gospel and having worship times and having bands perform and all sorts of different creative things, we saw some people saved, some young people saved. Uh, and so Helen and I took those uh, brand new Christian young people to an event called Fort Rocky. Now, Fort Rocky was an outward bound centre uh, organised by an uh, organisation called Youth with a Mission. Anyone heard of Youth with a Mission? Yeah? Oh, yes. You can show in your age by that. Um, so, so on this Outward Bound event, uh, they, they talked me into abseiling down a vertical wall. Um, and it was... I cannot describe to you the height of that wall. It was extremely high. And I remember walking up the hundreds of steps. I mean, Snowden had nothing on this. <laughs> and at the top of this huge vertical wall that I was supposed to upsell down, I was met by some teenage girl holding a rope. And I, let me tell you, the girl was tiny. She was half my age, a quarter of my weight, uh, and she could, she could just, she had that sort of prophetic ability about her. She could see I was a little bit nervous. I don't know, I don't know what gave it away. It was possibly the shaking, the sweating, the fact I had my eyes closed. 
and I was whispering, I'm not going to go down there. Those may have been clues for her, but I think she just had a general discernment. Um, and, and she just looked at me in the eyes and she said, just trust me, you'll be fine. And I thought to myself, trust you. She then said to me, have you ever done this before? I thought to myself, you are taking the mick now. I said, no, I've never done this before. And she, she handed me this, this leather harness and she told me to step into it. And she obviously had the standard joke of the day, which was, oh, it's like a kind of nappy. <laughs> and so I stepped into this thing and I said, I said to her, I probably need a nappy by the end of the... And she said, oh, you're funny, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm funny, aren't I? Yeah. And she said, she, said, she said, stop worrying, I've been doing this all summer. It was about the middle of May. You know, it didn't give me a great deal of confidence all summer. Anyway, she clipped me in and she handed me some gloves and she said this. She said, it's simple. You hold the rope and jump. And you bounce off the wall with your feet. Now, the words jump, bounce and wall should never be in the same sentence when you're at this height. I had one question for her, which was this. How do I stop plummeting to my death? And she said, you don't. I do that. I said, you do that. She goes, yes, I hold your rope. She's half my age. She's half my size. I said, but don't I do something? And she said, yes. You trust me. And so I inched to the edge of the wall and I looked down. I'll tell you what, Frodo Baggins felt safer looking into Mount Doom than I felt at this point in time. She said, as I edged to the, all right, as I edged to the thing, she said, do you have any valuables? I said, my life? She said, oh, you're funny, aren't you? Yeah, I'm funny. She goes, come on, it's your turn, jump. And I jumped. And curiously, I discovered that everything she said was actually true. Faith is the subject today. Taking that step and knowing that God is holding the rope. We've enjoyed a fantastic series over the summer. Who's enjoyed the series? Four different voices. Yeah. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? Yeah, let's, let's show our appreciation to the guys who've shared. Four different voices bringing four different reflections on Luke. And as we think about what we've heard, I think we see the key ingredient of faith being demonstrated each time, but in all sorts of different ways. Faith causes the sort of obedience which enabled the disciples to respond to Jesus as he commanded them to put out into the deep water. The story of Zacchaeus illustrated saving faith, that transforming effect that saving faith has upon the lives of individuals. Faith results in being secure in our identity, knowing who our Father is, just like the 12-year-old Jesus did in the temple. And faith causes us to pray with patience, and with perseverance. Four different reflections, four different dimensions to faith. And I would say, faith is actually about knowing who God is. Faith is about making decisions to trust 
Jesus. Faith is never a passive thing. It's always active. Faith always demands a response. But it is about our understanding of God. The 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews starts by saying this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the whole chapter reminds us of activity. The whole of chapter 11 talks about demonstrations of faith, but through actions. Noah building his ark. Abraham going to the promised land. The parting of the Red Sea as Israel passed through it. The walls of Jericho coming down. The most famous faith chapter of all is all about activity. Faith is not simply about mustering up some belief. It's about how we live. It's about how we respond to the character and the promises of God. And the whole of Hebrews 11 discusses the incredible exploits of God. The one who tore the sea apart so that Israel could walk right through it. He brought the walls of Jericho down. Only God could do those things. But actually, there needed to be people who acted in faith. Moses needed to hold out his staff. Joshua needed to instruct his army to sound the trumpet and to shout in order that the walls would come down. And so my encouragement and my challenge for us today is have we got faith that God can continue to break through in our town, in our hearts, in our lives? I want to encourage you today, if you've lost a little bit of hope, God is into breakthrough. It's his specialist subject. Never more illustrated than on Easter Sunday morning. If you're feeling downcast or weak in your faith, then come to Jesus because he is the one who can do more than you imagine. There are others here, I think, who probably will be facilitators of faith. I believe God's looking for people who will partner God in his promises, people who will step out in faith, staff holders or trumpet blowers or whatever they might be, courageous souls who take God at his word and then risk looking foolish if nothing happens. Think of those guys. Okay, lads, I'm going to hold this staff over the sea and God will do the rest. Moses, you're going to look an idiot unless something happens here. Okay, lads, the best military tactic here is to blow your trumpet and shout a lot. Joshua, I'm no military man, but are you sure? Is that really what you're instructing us to do? Taking risks and seeing walls come down, seeing things happen, seeing God move, seeing light break into darkness. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot please God without faith. And that's why this verse is surrounded by all of these wonderful ancient heroes who pleased God. They were people who didn't please people, they pleased God. And they pleased God because they were obedient and they were obedient because they acted in faith. Faith is not just about believing certain things will happen, it's about putting it into practice. Let's go back to this terrible story of my abseiling trauma just for a moment. In this situation, I had to be obedient to the instructions I was given by this slip of a girl. 
But in order to be obedient, I first had to act in faith. She said, hold the rope and jump. Bounce off the wall with your feet. And there was only one way that I could prove that I trusted what she said. And that was actually to hold the rope and jump and bounce off the wall with my feet. The only way I could prove that I trusted what she said was to be obedient to her instructions. So my faith in that young instructor resulted in obedience to what she told me. And I had to decide that what she was telling me was right and that it was for my own good. The reason I did what she told me was largely because I didn't want to die and so I was trusting that she had my best interest at heart. And so there are clues here about our relationship with God. I put it to you that God always has our best interest at heart. So in every area of life, faith results in obedience and obedience pleases God and blesses us. And one of the reasons, this is really important, one of the reasons that obedience and faith pleases God is because it blesses us. It pleases God because it blesses us. It's in that verse. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so with this foundation in mind, with this wonderful chapter about the heroes of faith, we're going to move forward. Helen's going to come now and she's going to look at chapter 12 and bring some application before we conclude. You didn't know you were going to have two, did you? (laughs) Let's just read from Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So these Bible greats that Terry's mentioned, they give us inspiration, don't they, of the faith that they had in God. And if God says do it, then do it, even if you're going to look a bit silly, holding out your staff, etc. But if God doesn't say do it, then guess what? We don't do it because it's not God's best for us. Here in Hebrews 12, verse 1, we are reminded to get rid of the stuff that's in the way. Everything that hinders. Not some of the stuff, not some of the stuff you choose to get rid of, but everything that hinders. Sin that so easily entangles. I love how the Bible's so honest about sin here. I love how um, in expressing the sin here, it's saying it easily entangles us. So we kind of going through life and we can do the odd thing that we know is not quite right. And then that leads to another and leads to another. And before we know it, we're entangled by stuff that's not of God, that confuses our walk with him. 
It's entangling us. And what does God say? What do, we, what do we hear here about what we do with the stuff that entangles us? How do we respond? Do we say, oh, poor me. I've got stuck in this sin and now I don't know how to get out and my life looks like this, but I don't know quite what to do next. Or do we justify what we've done and say, well, if it wasn't for that, then this wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in now. No, here we're told, throw off everything. Throw it off. Get rid of it. It's entangling us. Get rid of it. Throw it off. And then, what does it say? It says, let us run the race with perseverance. With a strong mind. With our eyes set on a purpose. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows what is best for us. He knows that when we focus on him, when we focus on his will, when we focus on his goodness, when we fix our eyes on him, then we will be stepping into the plans that he has for us. Plans for hope. A hope. I think people belittle that word hope. There's a lot of hope in this room today. There's a lot of people with a lot of hope. And is it a vain hope? No. It's a hope in this almighty God. There's a hope in the security of what he brings. There's a hope for our future. And the hope is best secure when we're fixing our eyes on him and everything that he is. Not looking at the sin that's entangled us. Get rid of that. Get rid of it. But looking at him. If we just think of a race for a moment, so this whole context is running a race. And let's think about when we run a race, you have to stay on a track, don't you? You have to stay on the track. You can't look at someone else's track. You just have to keep running a track. I remember running a race when I was about 10 years old with a lady called Amanda Beaver, a girl called Amanda Beaver. I thought I was better at her than running. She thought she was better than me. I think she was probably right. However, when we had the race, one day I was distracted and I was looking to see if I could beat Amanda Beaver. And I fell down a rabbit hole. It wasn't, a good, it wasn't a good plan to see if I could beat her. Do you know what? Her name is the only name I remember from school because I had such competition with her running this race. And I was, came in about six. She won because she didn't look to see where Helen Hotchkiss was, Helen Horton as was. She was running her race and fixing her eyes on her track. We have to keep our eyes on our, the plans that God has for us, on his best for us, on our walk with him. We're not to compare with other people. We're to stay on track. Do we allow other influences to come in? Are we comparing and are we saying, oh, but my, my walk could look more like theirs if I did this, or it could look like this if I did that? If things creep in and if comparisons keep creeping, if things keep coming, then we can get entangled with stuff that's not God's best. Sometimes we need to say, right, I'm starting my race again. And if we think about a runner coming up to a race, they have to come down to the starting blocks, don't they? And I just wonder for some of us, is it time to just bow our heads and say, God, I want to run my race, but I just need to put this right with you first. I just want to give this to you. I want to put right my life. I want to take stock. I want to bow my head like somebody does on the stocks before they're about to run. I'm just going to say, right, I'm ready, I've put it right, 
And then the next thing, we lift our heads to start the race. And what do we look at when we lift our heads to start the race? We look ahead at the goal. We don't look at the track. We don't look at the things on the track. We look at the goal ahead. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Are we ready to step out? Are we ready to say, right, the starting block, I'm looking at you, Jesus. I'm running to you. This means listening to the words of God again. It means saturating ourselves with the truth of who he is. It means reading our Bible, believing the truth. The truth is our life. We were reminded so well by the guy that shared earlier, the truth is our life. This is everything. And we're ready to step out in the truth, fueled with the Holy Spirit. Are we willing to throw off the stuff that hinders us because we're so fixed on the prize, we're so fixed on Jesus? What's clouding our view? And is it time to get rid of it? Okay, so we can start the race because we've fixed our eyes on the head and now we can start running. And we don't sprint until we're exhausted and we don't pace ourselves so much that we don't really get anywhere. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we have a good pace and we run a good race with him prompting us on our race. Fixing our eyes on him. Maybe for some of us we see too many hurdles. Too many hurdles on the race. Am I saying that there's no hurdles? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that when there's hurdles on the race ahead of us, when there's hurdles in our journey, we don't fix our eyes on the hurdles. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on him. That doesn't make the hurdle any less important, but it doesn't make it our focus. So when trouble comes, when hardship comes, when things come that are really difficult to deal with, There are hurdles, aren't they? There are hurdles. But we don't fix our eyes on the hurdles. We fix our eyes on him who takes us through them, who takes us over them. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Some Christians kind of say, oh yes, the hurdle was there, but I kind of floated over it because I'm with Jesus. I'm not sure that's entirely true. Because we don't float over our hurdles we go with perseverance over them we jump high we jump strong knowing who it is that strengthens us knowing that we have the grace of God in our life to get over it sometimes they cause us pain sometimes they are horrendous things but I tell you my hurdles are bigger when I'm lying in bed at night concentrating on them rather than concentrating on Jesus and who he is Is that true for anyone else here? When we're lying, thinking about the things that are wrong, thinking about the things that people have done to us, thinking about the things that could have caused us pain, thinking about the stumbling things that we might have ahead of us on our journey, that's when they become bigger and bigger and bigger. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, on his saving power, on his saving grace, on his promises and his hope and the promises for eternity, that's when we have hope. That's when we build our faith. That's when we enjoy our lives. That's when we enjoy being in love with Jesus. How many of us remember and are in love with Jesus? 
How many of us just, that's the thing that burns the biggest and the brightest, and that's the reason why we can run our race. If we do feel like we've crashed or we've hit our hurdle, the only one who can pick us up is God. We fix our eyes back on him. We don't say, oh, I've messed up now. Look, my hurdle's crashed. Look, I'm in a heap. No, we pick ourselves up again and we look at Jesus, who is the sustainer and the one who is able to keep us and bring us forward, whatever the hurdle is. What's eternal? Do we fix our eyes on what is eternal? Do we do this every day or do we forget? As Terry said, we've just been to Romania and literally, I don't want to compare Romanian culture to here because I know how annoying that is when someone's been away and they say, oh, look at them, aren't they amazing? But actually, literally every day, I was noticing something in them that I wanted to catch a bit more of. Something in the nature of expecting and relying on Jesus for everything. Eternal things, eternal perspective every day. They had lots and lots of things that they could have said uh, were things that they would cause them pain. They had lots of stuff in their past. Another thing on our race, isn't it? When we're running forward, if we spend our whole life looking over our shoulder and saying, look what happened. Look what's gone on. Look, this is why I'm in a mess. These things have happened to me in the past. This thing happened and this thing happened and this thing happened. And we spend our time on our race looking over our shoulder. Then we will come into a problem because you can't run your your race fixed on Jesus if you're fixing your stuff on the stuff that's happened. And with these people in Romania, some of them had had big stuff happened. Big stuff. The communist regime was not an easy one. The level of ideas of secrecy and um, poverty. People actually hungry. People's families just broken up. But I saw an excitement of freedom, a revelation every day in people's lives about what they had now. Isn't life amazing? Isn't life exciting? I've got Jesus in my life. Everything's good. Not, look what happened to me then. This is why I'm a bit funny now. They were focusing their eyes on Jesus. I heard, I heard a phrase recently. I think you've probably heard it before. What happens when you squeeze an orange? Orange juice comes out. What happens when you squeeze a lemon? Lemon juice comes out. What happens when you squeeze a Christian? What comes out of a Christian when you squeeze them? What's, I want to be a Christian that when I'm squeezed, don't come and practice later. When I'm squeezed, when life is tough, when the hurdle seems big, when I'm running my race and everything seems to be against me and my legs feel like they've got weights in them and I can't keep going, at that moment, I want to ooze Jesus. I want to ooze Christ in my life. Is anybody with me? I want to be a Christian that when I'm squeezed, Christ comes out. I heard somebody say recently um, in a conference, when they talk to people, sometimes they say, oh, they say, how are you doing? And they say, well, under the circumstances. Well, because of the circumstances. And this person said, what are you doing under them? What are you doing under them? We're above the circumstances. We're not under them. What are you doing under there? Come out. Jesus puts us above our circumstances. He gives us a hope that's way beyond our circumstances. 
Are we sitting under our circumstances? Are we sitting entangled either in our circumstances or in sin or something that's preventing us from fixing our eyes on Jesus? Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are saying, you know what? It's your guidance, your truth, your spirit in my life, your promises, your hope that sustains every part of me. Everything. And that's not just for Sundays. That's not just for the days when we've had a good Bible study. That's for everything. I look around and I feel like I'm teaching my grandmother to suck eggs, whatever that actually means. And I I'm, I'm just see people with faith after faith after faith after faith after faith. And you know what? You're all my heroes. Today's a day when I'm just admitting that everyone's my hero. I look around and I could cry at the heroic nature. And you know what? That's because you love Jesus. And when I see someone who loves Jesus, and when they're squeezed, they love Jesus even more, that gives me excitement to keep going. That gives me excitement to want to love Jesus more, just like they do. If I'm going to compare myself to anyone, it's someone on the race that's being squeezed tightly who loves Jesus. That's what I want to do. That's the same for anyone else. Whatever needs to be done, whatever needs to be addressed, whether it's stuff from our past, whether it's stuff that's entangling us now, maybe there's some repentance. <clears throat> maybe there's some forgiveness. Do you know, I sit with people sometimes and as they forgive, freedom literally comes to them. Because when we're unforgiving towards people, we are entangled in what they've done to us. We're entangled and crippled by what they've done. And if we say... I want to run my race with my eyes fixed on you, not with that thing that they've done to me. That brings freedom. So I'm going to ask us some questions to conclude. What does our situation look like right now? Do we know that we're entangled in sin? That we're in danger of comparing ourselves to other people's walks and being slightly jealous of them rather than fixing our own eyes? on what Jesus has for us. How are we doing with our own walk right now? Are we being distracted by stuff that's not good for us? Are we looking to the left and to the right rather than straight on? What and who are we fixing our eyes on? What are we passionate about when we're waking up in the morning? What are we excited about for our day ahead? What are we excited about for our families and our future and our children and our our whole lives, are we excited about the idea that Jesus has got it all in control? And when we fix our eyes on him, he's the one that brings freedom. If today you're feeling squeezed, what's coming out? I'd love to say that every time I'm squeezed, Jesus comes out. That's not true. But I want to step up and make it so that he does. And I can't do that by myself. I have to do that by trusting and relying. The stuff that Terry was saying, trusting that girl when you're jumping off a, a wall. Trusting Jesus when you're running your race is a faith exercise because you're relying on who he is. And the best way to do that is to know him more and more and more. To be deeper in love with who he is. To be deeper enriched by the word and the power of his word and also the presence of his spirit in every single day of our life. Are we ready to say, you're the one that matters most. You're the reason. Whatever the stuff is that's outside of you, I am fixing my eyes on you. I want to just read that scripture again. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. It sounds simple, doesn't it? The, the witnesses were those of the faith of the forefathers. They were the faith of those before us show that when we obey, when we listen to God, when we come in line with his promises, then he moves. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The, perfect, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The next bit, I believe, shows it. It's not that easy, but it is the truth. For the joy that was set before him, so because Jesus knew what was the eternal nature of where he was going, he was going to heaven, he was going to be with his father, and he was going to be fine. Because of that joy, he endured the cross. The cross is the ultimate hurdle, I would say, in life. Scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I just pray for us? Father, when we put you in the circumstance, when we see you, Jesus, above and beyond any circumstance, we do not grow weary and we don't lose heart. You conquered death. You have given us life. You give us every hope. You give us every promise. And you are faithful. I pray that each of us, as we come to our faithful God, our Father who loves us, our Saviour who died for us, we would recognise the stuff that's entangled us, the stuff that could be slowing us down, We want to run a good race with our eyes fixed on you. And I pray for every person in this room. For those who don't yet know you. For those who've known you for a long time. And I pray, Lord, that as our eyes are fixed on your truth, your promises, your word, your declarations, our eyes will be lifted from any lies that would drag us down or take us away from those truths. And that you would come by the power of your spirit and you would break into every life in this room. Again, thank you for the saving power of your cross. Thank you that our promise is for all eternity to be with you. And thank you we can face every day knowing that our eyes can be fixed on you. And you have a way through every circumstance. And I pray that as we're squeezed, We will ooze you in every situation. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to conclude by worshipping. It seems appropriate to conclude just by coming back to worship in the context of fixing our eyes on Jesus. That is one thing that we can do corporately as we uh, worship him together. And so I'm going to ask Josh and the band to lead us. We're going to sing a couple of songs just to conclude as we worship him together. So shall we stand together uh, and in the light of our opportunities to be obedient uh, as people of faith 
and in the light of the reality of Jesus being the author and the perfecter of our faith, the beginning and the end, the one that we can fix our eyes on, we can run this race. We can run this race. Uh, And as we run this race, fixing our eyes on him enables us to be people who are truly worshippers. And so let's express that corporately right now as Josh and the team lead us.